Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up earlier today with David Lavoilette. He's the president of Goldspot Discoveries. They're an AI company on the TSX V. We're like an AI story here. We get dig into the weeds about what's so special about them, how they charge, what the future looks like, and what the landscape is at the moment. If you want our thoughts and opinions on that, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. We can also find detailed company reports and analysis as commentary from experts from around the world on a variety of topics and companies, including AI. Uh, there are training courses to help you with your intelligence process. We do summaries of other interviews. In fact, all of our interviews save you some time because we know you're busy. And if you want to join a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas in a nice, friendly, safe environment, free from judgment, trolling, and abuse, you can find, join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Dennis, how are you doing, sir? Very well, thank you very much. How are you? All good, all good over here. So where in the world are you? I'm in uh, Toronto, actually, Oakville. Um, so just south of Toronto. And uh, my dingy little basement, it's a beautiful day, but I'm down here. Um, Working hard. my uh, Zoom setup. It's nice, it's nice. You have a very impressive mic there to your left. You made well, a bit of effort. thank you, yeah, it's new. <laughs> it's new. Is it? It's, uh, it's you know, yeah, that's, that's the only thing I'm fixated on these days with all the Zoom stuff is audio quality and all this. And I'm like, you know, we've got to do better. So anyway, here we are. No, good. Good. You made an effort. That's, that's a good start. Um, well, we better kick off. Give us that one minute overview of the business for people new to this story and I'll pick it up from there. Sure. Okay. Well, I'll try to summarize it in, in sort of one all-encompassing statement. So Goldspot Discoveries is an AI company. We are the first and leader in machine learning and its application to mineral exploration. Um, we've monetized our, our technology technology and our team through a different, so there's different facets to gold, but we have uh, an investment arm. Uh, so we make strategic investments in this space. We also uh, generate royalties through our services uh, and as well as like a, a consultant consulting division. So we, we do consulting services for companies and, uh, and moreover R and D of course. And so we uh, first and foremost being a technology company, we put a lot of money into R and D developing new, new products for the industry. Okay. Brilliant. There's a few uh, moving parts there. So AI, Lord only knows that the, the industry needs it, uh, but it's relatively new. And there are a few small companies around trying to do it. So what is so special about your AI? Well, we've been around since uh, 2015 with this. Uh, so we've been, we're basically first movers in it. We've got a team of 40 people. Um, half of them are MSc PhDs. Uh, we've been working with a lot of the premier companies in the space. Uh, so the Hochschilds, the Yamanas, the Valets, uh, that type of stature of companies, as well as a lot of junior companies. Um, we've had a lot of success in this, uh, in, in this space um, with all of those types of companies and generate a tremendous amount of revenue from that for a company of our size, I think. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think we built a bit of a moat around our business that way. Um, you know, it's uh, what's what's sort of unique about us and our pursuit of applying machine learning and AI to the world of mineral exploration is that we focused on domain expertise. Uh, so having the right subdisciplines of geology and geoscience baked into a solution. So, you know, not just having a whole hub of of propeller heads that deal strictly with computer science and, and data science and AI, but also having, you know, people and going after the people that have, let's say, 
are PhD geophysicists that also publish papers in machine learning and AI and, you know, have a firm tacit grasp of or knowledge base of, of let's say geophysics, and then being able to transform that knowledge base into, you know, functional uh, uh, predictive uh, uh, data science sort of techniques and methodologies. And so um, we've really tried to marry the old world, if you will, uh, with the new world. Okay, um, which, which is great. And I can understand that because AI machine learning, it's a big space, it's a big arena in which to play. Um, this your, your application is very, very niche. So tell us how you've done that. I guess you're gonna do that through the people that you've hired because you, they've each got different sets of learnings which need to come together to create the assumptions mm -hmm. on which you, you know, create your product. So talk to, talk to me about the people first, Spe you know, in, in terms of specifics, not just general generalities. Sure. So our core team um, came out of the Institute of National Research in Quebec City, and uh, they were called the data miners. And they're really just a group of PhD level um, students and, and, and postdoctorate individuals uh, that put their brains together to compete in what was called uh, the Integra Gold Rush Challenge, which was this company, public company I'm sure you're familiar with called uh, Integra, who opened up their data libraries to the world to invite everyone from all different walks of industry to digest their data and come up with targets. Um, so our team took a very unique approach to that. So there was this team uh, based out of the Institute of National Research that took to that challenge and ended up placing in second place. Um, and what made them unique is that they used AI and machine learning uh, to, to vector in on uh, discovery potential and ultimately that was validated by the the company and that's why they they took second place with this mm -hmm. um so that really formulated the spine of our business you know that, that group of people as you said and that's really what this has been built around um and so it's okay if you have a solution like that but then you have to design a profitable business a business so you have to weaponize this technology so to speak and and build a a a, a business that can harness that and actually make money and be interesting so um, that's where myself and CJ and Colin and some of my other partners came in um, to to work with this team, grow it, build on this, and take it to where it is today. Okay, so I'm going to try and keep this really simple for people. I've got technology background. I'm excited by technology, and I think I've long, long since shouted from the rooftops about the fact that mining industry needs to kind of embrace it and get on with it. So you know, but I'm going to try and keep this simple for people. Okay, so your let's talk about your product. Yeah. What it is this? What it? What problems you are solving for mining companies? Let's start with that. So we're solving a big data problem. So let's start with the problem first. So the problem is is that you have multiple uh, vintages of exploration data collection that have been accumulated for a very very long time. So you have an industry that's rife with uh, decades and decades and de decades of data collection. And uh, as an industry, we've paid a tremendous amount of money to compile and, and build these extraordinary databases, whether it be in the field of geochemistry, in the field of geophysics or structural geology or mapping. And um, it's basically, it was sitting there, um, you know, ripe, ripe with potential. I mean, and, and so our job was to really come in, our solution was to come in and take this big data problem and, um, you know, use machine learning or, or artificial intelligence and that sort of data science methodology to crunch all of that data and and generate new uh, ideas and targets and combine it all to refine it into uh, a, a tangible product that's that's useful. Um, 
with the purpose of making new discoveries. I mean, of course. So, you know, if you look at the old axiom um, or if the, the, the old sort of industry process of analyzing data, you know, let's go back to like the geologist and say the light table in it. I'm not sure if you're, if you're geologists, if you'd be familiar with that, but with the, you know, the light table, you could sort of layer up information, your geochemistry, your geophysics, and stack all of these sheets of paper with different data sets on them, and then shine a light through a glass table underneath and see through those sheets of paper to observe and look for patterns. And what we can do now is we can essentially have infinite numbers of paper on that light table and search for patterns in this data and find very, very interesting patterns that could help point us into and make predictions as to where a company should be focusing their attention. Right. Layering. Great. So yeah. to, to come, let's, what's the problem you're solving? Because they, they, could, they could do that anyway. So is this yeah. just around cost and time? Is that, the, is that the only thing you bring to the table? Well, the problem you're solving is that a human being can only really analyze four layers at once. I mean, if you're a financial person, for instance, and you're looking at, you know, four curves overlaid on each other, that's about as much as your brain can do. And any human, uh, you know, you can only see patterns in like four or less things simultaneously. A computer doesn't have that limit. It can find patterns in 20 in, in a thousand layers of data. And so these are very complex formulas. And so you can, you know, the computer has no bounds like that. So you're looking for you know, ultimately, geology is about data collection and, and identifying patterns and then making predictions. Uh, we talk about gut feels. We talk about all these sorts of things as, you know, uh, someone's a mind finder and they have, the, they have the, the magic eye they can see in 3D. Well, you know, a computer has just so much more capacity to be able to do things. And it's quantitative. You know, it's not just qualitative analytics. But this isn't this isn't pure AI or pure machine learning yet. Okay. You, you've got a bunch of assumptions that you guys have got to feed in, right? Based on Correct. the people that you've got. You've got geologists who can say they, they can help the AI guys write code, which helps you identify and process a lot of data. But again, I'm coming back to the so what. So what, what are you doing for the companies? This is about you've got, you've got a better chance, a better likelihood of hitting a, a successful hole, drill hole? Sure. Yeah. That could be one of the very many deliverables well, do that you. we could generate that could be of value. Yeah. Do you though? You do. I think you do. So you have, you have a product that's able to generate a multitude of target ideas. Ultimately, when you distill what we do, like, I think we're oversimplifying the, you know, the product, so to speak. But if we're going to play with that oversimplification for a moment, if we generate a target map that's AI driven, um, you're going to undoubtedly have some overlap with the traditional targeting that a geologist would have. But what you have is maybe a different way uh, or some, some new targets and some new ideas that they wouldn't have thought of. And then you also may have, you know, more reasons to reinforce um, existing targets that one would have conventionally picked out. So you have a higher degree of confidence. After all, it's the business about risk and reward. And if you can improve that risk profile by providing more reasons to de-risk something or strengthen uh, the rationale to drill, uh, then of course you're adding value or you're helping that, that, that occur. Consequently, you could also strip away some, you, can, you could provide reasons otherwise to not drill something that would have apparently looked like something important 
Um, but for whatever reasons, or for maybe a variety of actual quantitative reasons, it isn't a good idea. Well, well talk, talk to me about that. You said we're, we're, dumbing, we're dumbing this down, we're oversimplifying it. So, so mm -hmm. what's more important than knowing where to drill or where not to drill in terms of the company's ability to deploy its capital? What's more important than that? What else do you bring to the table? Well, okay, so what you can do with machine learning or what we do with machine learning, I'll give you an example. So let's take um, our new tool, which we call LithoLens. This is something that we've birthed into the market last year. Um, we've been R&Ding this for a couple of years. And what LithoLens does is it takes core photographs. And so you have the entire industry has been collecting core photographs. They've been photographing core boxes as they come out of the ground. And they've been stockpiling these core images. And they do nothing with these images, by the way. Now, over $500 million is spent or has been spent on relogging core as an industry. Actually, right now we estimate around $50 million per year is spent just on logging core. And that's not with, you know, not, not, not to actually relog it. And that's what I mean by logging core is you have a human being looking at a core box that comes out of the ground and then going and documenting what they see in that core. And so they make this basically, uh, you know, a written record and they describe what they're seeing uh, in the form of a, a typed out or a written uh, version. And so um, what then happens, it's like the game of telephone, that, that record gets passed on to someone who then models that ge geological data based on that written, uh, that written transcript. And there's going to be mistakes in there. There's going to be, once you get things hung up in the model, you may have five or six different geologists calling the same rock four or five different names. And so then the modeling person comes in and they try to connect the dots and link a geological model together. And there's problems. So they need to go back and you know, maybe dedicate a couple of geos to go back through all of that old log core, pull it back out again and relog it again and try to try to rectify the issue. So what we've generated is this uh, platform called Litholand. So we can take these core photos and basically we can use um, with machine learning for different uh, AI in a, in a few different steps here. One of them is to extract the core from the box and then basically strip away all the glare from cameras or maybe sunlight or whatever you have, maybe a little bit of grease on the thing or maybe some magic marker or some trickle. Like there's a lot of little issues that need to get treated on this core photo before it's useful. But we can basically take this core out of the box in the photograph, string it all up in big one big long image. And then we use data science, we use, you know, basically machine learning to then go through and automatically relog that core and pick out features. And so that's an application of AI that adds a tremendous amount of value to a company without actually pointing them to a new target. So, but in the overall value chain, it will contribute to new targets, hopefully being, being picked out. But I mean, it definitely improves the geological model. And right now there's no other solution that can do this in, you know, 20 minutes. I, saying, it's, it, that, I mean, it's interesting to me because you're, you're focused on product features rather than benefits. It, it appears mm. to me, if I'm looking at a sort of technology based analogy, right? Because at some point you're going to say, hey, we're a technology company, get a better multiple on that. So that's an exciting thing um, rather than a mining focused business. So I think, I think that's interesting, but you, you're kind of, it seems still quite excited about the technological components that you have, as opposed to if I'm a mining company, I want to know, I want you to save me some money by making 
They're helping me more accurately target what I need to be hitting, which is whatever mineral I'm chasing. Would that, is that fair or do you, do you think it's a bit harsh? Yeah, no, 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 for sure. And that's the top line request. But, you know, in the pursuit of that, you know, ultimate end of, of, of getting to, you know, new targets and new things to, to drill test to satisfy, let's say, the executive that's saying, I want to employ this AI company to improve our, our process. Um, you know, you end up going into each of these components and whether it be geological modeling or, or geochemical thing, and we can start to apply data science to improve those various components. And hopefully those can bake into uh, things. But so, so that's why I was saying oversimplification, because if we look at the business as one that, you know, people can say, okay, well, what does Goldspot do? Well, they just come in, they take all your data and then they give you targets. Well, yeah, that's not necessarily true. I mean, we can do that. And that is the bulk of what we do. Um, but there's a tremendous amount of value in my company and a value to the industry in a lot of the tools and techniques that we've developed in the R&D that we've put in um, to improve geological modeling, core logging, things like that. Right. Okay. But, but those, are, those are kind of byproducts of what people are actually buying, want from AI. If people are getting excited about AI sure. in this space because you can process or you can create more data points more accurately to create a more accurate picture of what's under the ground. That's the hard bit. <laughs> you got to find the stuff that's under the ground, right? Um, and, you know, and, it, and it costs a lot of money to do that sometimes. So you know, I, I can, I can under, understand the, all the moving parts within your organization, but I'm just thinking about, well, it, dumbing it down is probably what you need at the sales end. So let's, let's look at what, the, what, a, what a, a sales meeting looks like for you. You've, met, you've name dropped a few few big companies in there. I'm sure there's a few small ones too, looking at your press releases. So what's the pitch? Yeah, well, the pitch is that. So the pitch is we've got this incredible uh, team um, that's been working on all of these tools and integrating good, real geological uh, capabilities with data science and very modern techniques, and that we're able to get more out of data than you are. And that's basically the, 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 the pitch out to, to a client. Um, oftentimes they come to us with very pointed needs. You know, they come to us and say, well, here's our, our data sets. Here's our issues. Here's what we need to, some, here's some of the problems we need to solve. And then we can kind of create a custom solution uh, that solves, but the tools in our toolbox are far more robust than and modern than the tools in their toolbox. And right. So that's really the pitch. But it comes down to, how much money can you save me? How much money can you make me, right? And from yeah. that, once you've identified what those numbers are, you can have a conversation about how much you think you're going to be able to charge them. Fair enough. Yep. And I think, I think you know, that's a, it's sort of a, a question that we get often is how much do you save a company or what is your, what's the efficiency that Goldspot brings to a, a, a product? You know, try to quantify that in the number, like what's your track record been like? And um, it's like asking someone, you know, how efficient are they with a GPS driving a car? Because all of us know how to drive a car. In fact, we can all map out how to get from point A to point B before GPS has existed. We knew how to, you know, we could stop at the gas station and ask for directions. We could, you know, pull a map out of our glove box and figure it out. Um, but, you know, so that's sort of like the traditional geology mindset, right? Like you, you, you don't need a GPS. If you, if you're any good, you can figure it out on your own. But, 
how many of us know, even when we know where we're going, we want a GPS. Well, why? Because the GPS can tell us a lot more information. It can tell us there's a traffic jam. It can, today's GPS, I'm not saying the Garmin of 10 years ago, I'm saying the Google Maps of today can tell us, well, here's five or six alternate routes that will get you there and they'll save you this much time or they cost you this much time or whatever and they give you all these different paths. Take a right over here, take a left over there and you can get around that accident that's now been populated. Well, it's because of information. It's just, you know, the GPS is providing you with far more information than what you had before. And so you can travel more efficiently. Um, now try to quantify how efficient a GPS makes your travel. How much time does it save you? You know, and that's like saying, how much money does it save you? Okay, great so example. Where, what do you do? How do you solve that problem for you? You mean, how do I solve that problem in terms of my sales? Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, or, or in terms of cost. Like well, the, the, company, the, companies, the companies asked you a question and said, right, uh, AI, I hear it's really good. I think you can save me some money because or make me some more money, but there's going to be you've got to, you two, you two parties have got to work out what that cost saving is or that, or that cost benefit is, incremental, you know, benefit is. And you're probably going to want some kind of flexibility in terms of a number that you come up with in terms of the way that you charge, you, because you know, you've mm -hmm. got clients now. So how do you go about having that conversation? How do you put a number on it? Well, I simply, I mean, I look at how much work we need to do. And I know what our, our running rate is. We, so we have an industry rate for our personnel and our time. And what we do is we sit down, we, we, we create a roadmap or a, a Gantt chart of what needs to get done and then what timeline we need to get it done, both for our, ourselves and for the client to meet their needs. And then we come up with a costing based on that. So it's time I based. I mean, that's what it's time based. It's basically time. You're based. like a lawyer. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay. Yep. So not, you, you're it. not taking advantage of any perceived uh, benefit in using your product. It's just we're another consultancy service. Correct. Right. And so from time to time, though, so that's that's how I negotiate with larger clients with cash to pay. Now, when I go down the value chain into the junior companies, um, I also bring brand. I bring credibility. I bring access to capital. I bring a few things um, with my service uh, that, they, that they don't have. I bring an edge that maybe they can add to their narrative and their story that they couldn't get somewhere else. And for that, sometimes I'll charge a royalty in addition to a cost. So I'll say, okay, this is what it's going to cost you. But in, in order for me to risk my brand and or if I believe in this, I'll couple up an actual check into that company and I'll look for a royalty in addition to a, a service uh, arrangement with them. Right. I better clear up some terminologies just for my benefit, if you, if you don't mind. Okay. Sure. So um, you've used, um, so cash to pay. So that's a flat rate, hourly rate, depending on who in the company is doing what. And you agree that mm -hmm. up front and that's what you get. So you know what your margins are out of the gate yeah. and right the way to the end of the project. So Correct. that's a kind of flat line. So, and you employ as many people as you need uh, based on how many were your projected sales or your actual projected sales for that year. So you can pretty much have some consistency or, or line of sight to what you're going to make each year on the cash to pay component. What, have yep. you considered at any point trying to monetize, get a bit of blue sky on that element and, and, and factor in or negotiate in a component uh, based on drill success, based on, because current companies go, well, we kind of had, uh, yep. you know, two, two, two holes out of four. You go, okay, well now you're hitting three holes out of four. Some of that's got to be us, right? 
Is that yep. a conversation you have? Yeah, no, it is. Um, so, so again, when I deal with the larger companies, it's a much tougher negotiation to, to, to strike, of course, right? Because I mean, you're looking at established minds that have, you know, you're just another service provider to them and they'd much rather just pay you in cash. And so <clears throat> we have uh, discussed success-based incentives uh, with them. Um, but more often than not, what we find is that the success that we have with a large company oftentimes is on one project within their portfolio. And what success looks like in that relationship is another project to follow, another contract and another and another and another. Um, but where I try to capture that um, exact, so you're, you hit the nail on the head and that's the beauty of this business is where I've tried to capture that is actually in the, in the junior side of the business. And so right. it's with the juniors where I have a little bit more leverage, a little bit more pull. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's where I've decided to come up with a formula to couple it up with capital as well. Great. Okay. Okay. So let's, let's carry on with the terminology. You talk about royalty. When you say royalty, what do you mean by royalty? Well, what I mean by royalty is, uh, uh, so what I'll typically do, so here's the, I'll give you an example. Um, we will, we basically scour the industry at all times. We've, you know, we've got a system that does it as well, but we look for alpha in the space and we'll look for the right opportunities to get in involved in the right stories to get involved with. And when we find something that meets our criteria, has the right jurisdiction, the right team, the right capital structure, um, the discovery potential, the low hanging fruit for us to dig into and help improve um, that story. When all of those conditions are met, we will uh, couple up a um, investment uh, agreement with that company. So we'll make a strategic investment in that company whereby we do take shares of the company. That company in turn will engage us in a service arrangement. So we'll have a service contract with that company as well to deploy our services. Um, and in addition to that, sometimes I'll push to get a royalty on their assets. So on the very assets that we work on, I end up with a, you know, let's say a half a percent royalty or a 1% uh, NSR net smelter royalty on that actual project. And so my shareholders, if my technology and my team is successful with that particular client, not only do they have leverage to the share price appreciation, if we are successful, we make a discovery and their shares go from five cents to 50 cents. We end up reaping the rewards together, but we also end up with a royalty on that project, um, which could deliver, you know, another okay. tier of value. That, that's interesting. Let me come back to the royalty. Okay. So the investment, when you say you invest in the company, do you mean you take the money they would have paid you for doing the work and, re and take equity instead? What do you mean? Correct. Okay, so you're not putting your own cash in there. You're putting your time in. I do in put my own cash in. And your own cash. And my own cash, yeah. Uh, yep. What sort of percentage split are we talking about? Usually, I usually uh, it's about 50. Usually, I do about, um, I'll, I'll put in about half a million dollars. So, my snack bracket is usually about a half a million to a million. Right. So, I'll take a million bucks or a half a million bucks of a private placement. So, the, the company will have a private placement. I'll be a lead order in that private placement. Right, so you'll put I'll bring in, my services in. Right, you, right. So let's say it's a half million dollar contract. You right. put that money in. You take shares instead of cash, and you will also personally put in half a million in cash. Correct. Okay. So Understood. I'll. So the way it works is I'll put in a half. Uh, I'll explain that a little better. I'll put in a half a million bucks, let's say, of cash. They will pay me back in a service contract, payable upfront in cash. So I'll get a portion of my cash back, um, but I'll get my full five hundred thousand dollars of shares. 
not sure that is clear to me. I'm sure okay, so let's say you have a company and you're raising a $2 million. I'll come into your financing for $500,000 and you're engaging me and my team for a $300,000 service contract. Got it. I think. Okay, let's go with that. So, so, so they are basically paying me back with my own money in, in a service contract, basically. Okay. In a way. Okay. And then, and then what I'll do is I will leave a Delta. So there's a Delta. So they're actually getting more cash out of me than I'm putting in more cash than I'm getting back for a service contract. Wow. Right. Does that work out for you? Well, it's allowed me to ratchet seven and a half million dollars into 25 in two years. Which you're, which you haven't pulled out of, out of any of those investments. No, I mean, from time to time, we, we slip out of, we rebalance it, we slip out of this and that, but because we've been able to diversify our portfolio across so many different issuers, we don't have to, if we do need to divest in, um, to free up some cash to keep our cash float what it is. I mean, we have enough service money coming in from the larger clients that we don't have to lean on that recirculation, so to speak. Um, but from time to time when we do, we don't have to put any overbearing pressure on any particular position because junior mining simply doesn't have liquidity to do that um, without crushing a stock. And so, for instance, you know, it, we could sell $10,000 worth of stock across 10 issuers and not even move the needle on any of them if we needed to. Um, and that would, you know, that would give us a hundred thousand bucks. Right. So that's a, that's a, the average way that you do things. Be you will also, if there's not enough cash around, you will take a royalty instead or as well. Well, it just depends. I mean, it, it, it depends how much we're going to be doing and it depends what the risk of the investment is like, um, you know, and what the check I'm putting in is too. And what the debt, like what we arrange, you know, uh, so I, from time to time I will, look to say, well, for my brand, put our brand onto a, a deal to bring our team into a deal. Um, maybe potentially it's a great project and a great jurisdiction with a, with a great data set, but it's got a lot of, it's got a lot of hurdles to jump to get to where it needs to be. Uh, but we believe in it. You know, I'm, I might look to say, okay, the only way I'm participating in this is if I do get a royalty. Right. Okay. Okay. And let's just come back to your comment. Seven and a half million gone to, ratcheted to 25 million. What do you mean? You personally or the company? The company. The company. Right. Okay. The market cap at 30 million. You've well, look, I mean, if you take our, our cash position, so our assets under management, when we launched the deal at, in 2019 was seven and a half million. Um, and basically we, we parlayed that. So in, I can speak to our Q3 numbers because our Q4 numbers are still, our year ends are still going to come out. So I have to be careful what I say. But um, basically if we if fast forward to Q3 of last year, um, I had about 17 million in cash and securities uh, in, and an $8 million uh, position in a Privco that we started ourselves. Uh, so yeah, about 25 million, that's what that bakes into. Right. So you so how so much cash and securities? Right. So cash and securities today sitting in Goldspot Discoveries Corp is what? Well, you'll see our financials come out at the end of the month. But yeah, you're we're not far off. We're not far off. So you're being totally valued on cash and securities at the moment, not the actual concept or, or service company. Almost, yeah. Right. Almost. Okay. Yeah. It, why is that? Um, you know, I think it's partially because 
when I went out to explain this business model of how we were going to leverage this technology into, into making money, whether it be through servicing, lumpy non-recurring servicing to re- large companies, uh, or um, whether it be this, you know, using a cash treasury in a strategic investment process um, to, you know, inject it into and pick ponies in the space and put our money and our capital in and take equity back and, uh, for services. It's basically a creative way to take equity for services. Um, and so when I, when I came out with that model, it had a lot of moving parts. And I don't think people understood it. And I think what we needed to do is we needed to prove it worked. Um, what we've done today is we've continued to just simply prove it worked. We've had a few bumps in the road along the way that have set us back from a share price perspective. Like what? We had a couple of very early shareholders that took profits. Um, literally, as soon as the escrow was lifted, they blasted their paper out and knocked us back to the stone age in terms of share price. And, you know, we've just been focused on our business, focused on our growth. Uh, you know, our revenue growth is up 100% every year for the last, what, three or four years now. Uh, so, you know, we've just continuously been improving our balance sheet, improving our business, growing. And, uh, you know, I laid off marketing hard. So for the last two years, I haven't marketed very, very much at all. And uh, I'm a big believer in that this is a business where if I'm going to sit here and explain to you how complicated my business is, is and, and, you know, and how I'm going to make money with all these different moving parts, I better have a track record that I can point you back to and say, hey, listen, don't take my word for it. Here it is. Here's the growth. Here's my portfolio growth. I mean, if you just look at us from an investment perspective, we've turned seven and a half million dollars into 25. Um, Today, if I just, you know, just to give you some examples, if I want to look at our portfolio growth, it's 190%. Uh, against, let's say, the GDXJ at 38% in that same time period, or the GDX at 38% in the same time period, GDXJ 30% in that time period, and the TSX V at 50%. So we've outperformed all of these benchmarks by a monstrous margin. Yeah, but from a low, but from but from a low base, and I think I think my pro- my problem, and possibly the market problem, is that you're it is complicated, and you keep saying the word complicated. Sure. offer here, right? And I think that's the problem. Mm-hmm. You need to simplify it because a lot of these moving parts are products, right? I'm trying to work out what the business model is. Are you an investment company? It seems you could almost be like a fund, which just happens to have yeah. some AI thing, which is the kind of, actually, it's quite sweeter. We'll bring this in as part of the investment and we'll kind of reinvest some 60% of whatever the, the, the term of the contract is to you because that's enough to cover our GNA, right? So that, that, you know, and I, I could argue it probably from two or three different angles here. And I think the complexity is probably the bit, the barrier because your cash and securities being almost your market cap says to me that no one gets what you are. You're, you are good at a lot of things, but you're jack, jack of all trades. It could be, you could be accused, right? Despite having this amazing AI component. So, when do you make up your mind about what it is that you want to say to the market you are? Yeah, you know, and I think right now we're sort of at that inflection point. So what I wanted to do first, again, before I come out and say exactly what we are um, and really try to sharpen my message that way, I wanted to have this, you know, the balance sheet in the state that it's currently in and and have our, our track record of where it is. 
And, um, you know, I can say today where we're going, we are fully a technology company. Um, you know, the product I was talking to you about before, which is Litholens. Litholens is, you know, an absolutely transformative um, piece of technology that we've incubated uh, ourselves. And it's something that we can now roll out and we, we plan to roll out this year and start generating some licensing revenue from that particular piece of software. Now we have a lot of other incubated softwares like LithoLens with geophysical tools, applications and things that will resonate with geologists in this industry and be quite, quite disruptive. Um, and our plan now is to really look to take a lot of that, those gains that we made and reinvest them into monetizing these other incubated technologies, these R&D projects that we've done, and basically start generating new streams of revenue uh, to strengthen our business beyond just consulting revenue in this investment uh, business. And so, um, you know, it, it, it was really about building this spine that now we could sort of build off of and start to grow tentacles in all these different directions in, ter in terms of branching out into generating SaaS type revenue for our business moving forward. And so the message of Goldspot moving forward is not going to be in line with what it has been to date. Yeah. If that okay. makes any sense. Makes a lot of sense. And I, I want to I see that. I, I, I would like to see that because it's the AI component is something that the industry needs. Um, you know, what, what I think the, the, and I said right at the beginning, Getting a technology multiple on the company has got to be attractive. It's more attractive than being associated with mining or mining derivative type companies, right? So I think it is exciting if you can do that. You're also going to have to work out or show the show the market. I suspect is how the longevity of these contracts works, and so not just you know at this at the smaller end. I, I get that, but with the bigger mm -hmm. the manners of this world, you name drop them at the beginning, right? Is success to you looks like I'll get one contract based on an hourly rate or a daily rate or whatever. And then I'll get another contract and I'll get another contract because they've got they've got a big portfolio. And that's fine. But can you can you get more upside, blue sky? Can you negotiate more upside based on success with those maybe mid-tier mid type companies? And that would be interesting. I don't know if it's possible, well, think, but uh, it'd be great if you could. You know, again, it's it, it sort of comes in, at least from my vision, it comes in a bit of a different way. It's like... Now I have this relationship where, and, and all of these great technologies, which they're familiar with because we use them uh, on a private basis with, with them internally. It's not something that we've licensed and created a software out that anybody can go in and sign up for and use, uh, however that's coming. Uh, but right now where they're comfortable is that they already rely on this in their existing workflow. So now I can start to charge them, you know, uh, so, so, Basically, what I'm trying to do is build a relationships with lumpy non-recurring revenue, and I'm trying to convert that into recurring revenue. So it may not be as much, right? But maybe that's the carrot. That's the blue sky. It's not as sexy as the success-driven thing, but it's this beautiful relationship that we've established our teams working together, and I can slip in a hey, 15,000 bucks a month, you can have my software package or something like that. I'm just inventing numbers. But, um, you know, that's sort of where, where we're going to be hopefully getting to. Now, I think you hit the nail on the head again with the fact that the industry just begs for innovation and technology, and, 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 but it's actually all around us. And what's interesting is, is you couldn't imagine how difficult 
if you look at our shareholders registry of who our, our marquee shareholders are, I think it's quite impressive uh, against a lot of other companies in this space. I mean, we do have the support of some of the, the, the biggest thought leaders in this industry and they are our largest shareholders. Um, but, you know, it was really tough to finance an innovative solution, a technology company in the world of mining and mining finance, right? It's just, we've all been, as investors, if I put my investor hat on or my old pine tree hat on, the probably the most unsexy thing that could walk into the office was like this mineral processing technology 2.0 that was going to take your slime and turn it into solid gold. You write like some shitty, uh, can I swear on this? Oh, uh, knock yourself out. Okay. <laughs> shitty slime. We've had worse. Some shit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> shitty. I'll stick to that. Okay. Some shitty, um, you know, mining processing technology thing, which, you know, whatever, but there's no, you know, in order to grow an idea like this, you need angel investment. You need to secure capital, growth capital. Any technology company usually loses money for a very long time. If you look at IBM or Apple or Google or anybody or Amazon or anybody, they all hemorrhaged money, Netflix, before they ever made money. I mean, they're growth companies, right? After all. And so a growth company needs growth capital and it's, it's, it's tough to secure. And so if I look at the landscape of technologies today, which we watch all the time, I could count on two hands and two feet and somebody else's hands and feet, the number of junior companies out there that really do have absolutely brilliant technological solutions, all be the niche to deal with any particular uh, shortcoming in the industry. These are really revolutionary things. And maybe individually, they don't offer billion dollar blue sky potential, but they may offer tens of millions of dollars of recurring revenue potential. However, they just, there's these little smoldering embers that need to be blown on. And so with Goldspot, if we can get ourselves, so we've done the hard part, which is to propel a technology story into the market, establish a strong balance sheet, a, a solid liquidity, a, a somewhat stable stock now, I'll say. And if we can kind of get to that next tier of value, I think that we would function as the most beautiful um, consolidation nucleus for a lot of these other technologies in the sector. So from that perspective, I see Goldspot as an eventual consolidator of these things, snapping up other technology plays in the space uh, and bringing all of that revenue in its very different facets under our hood. That's a SaaS product, hopefully. It's cheaper, yeah. much cheaper. Um, for sure. <laughs> better margin. Here, just speak, I forgot, I meant to ask this earlier. Once you processed the company's data, who owns that data? We own the report, we own the methodology, and we own the, the IP. They own the data. The new data that you've created? The new, Good. yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Now I just wondered- We have the data. You have the data. It I depends. It, it, you know, look, it depends, right? Um, most of the time, this data is public anyways. Sure. The public owns the data, right? So, so long as what you're doing, let's say you're working in Ontario and you're drilling and you're, you know, collecting all this information and you're submit, you, you have to submit a, um, you know, a, a work report to the government basically to substantiate the amount of work that you've done, 
to apply credits to be able to keep your land in good standing because the government doesn't want you having claims that you don't do work on. After all, they want you to, to they, they give you minimum dollar amounts. You have to spend X amount of dollars on them. And when you do spend X amount of dollars, you end up turning over to the government all of this information, all of this data the drill hole results, the geophysical surveys, all these sorts of things. So a lot of this is public data anyway. So why doesn't someone go to, there's a, there's a okay, give, I've done a lot of technology space. Say so there are a bunch of companies that um, saw some company data over here. It was based on company information, right? So companies have to submit various bits of information. And some software companies said, well, do you know what? That's, that's public information. We're going to go to um, the government and say, well, if you can we download all of this data and create some products, we'll give you uh, a share of the revenue, but we're going to go and sell these products to various people. And that, that's happened a long, long time ago when I first kind of kicked off about 30 years ago. Why don't why aren't companies like you able to go and have conversations like that and just you know think a little bit bigger? It's big data. Well, we have. I mean, um, so for one, we've aggregated. One of the really interesting things we did right out of the gates was we did a prospectivity analysis for the entire province of Quebec. Right. Where we basically scraped every shred of data in the entire province, put it into one big massive database, cleaned it because right. it's full of. Mistakes. What are we buying? Tell me, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, well, we well actually, so this is where it went. We ended up doing this incredible map, um, this incredible data set, geophysics, geochemistry, everything. Um, and then what we did was we did prospectivity analysis where predictive, you know, basically map of where is it most likely to find copper, gold, you know, nickel, all, all these different, you know, commodity types. And then we said, okay, well, let's now overlay the staking. So the ground tenure, who owns what, who's who in the zoo, who has the highest pound for pound discovery potential in this overall map. And then let's make, create a mock portfolio of those companies. And so we started to go down that rabbit hole and uh, it's just absolutely insane. Like the, the power of data and what you can do and, and, and really, you know, illuminating. So there was, you know, it was funny. There, there was some really big companies that came up as like the number one, you know, sort of picks. And then there was these like orphan junior companies that were broken, had no capital at all, that also came up in that TEM registry. And guess what? Those are the type of companies today that we go after and we pick up a phone and say, hey, listen, are you guys looking to do a financing? We're there for a lead order. We'd like a royalty and we can help. So, I mean, that's kind of, so to answer your question, you know, how come companies like us aren't doing it? We are doing it. Um, But that product's not for sale. Comes back to what kind of company are you? There you go. We look forward to finding out. We better we better better wrap it up, Dennis. That's taken way longer, more of your time than we said we would. So appreciate appreciate that. I'm always fascinated by these stories, and I, I get the technology. It's hard it's hard to kind of get things going. Well, one last question, actually. I always I always say this. There might be another two or three, but one last question is why why bother going public? Why don't you stay private? Well, I think the answer to that is one of the points I made earlier which is if someone wanted to consolidate all things mining technology 2.0 and build the future of mining and exploration in one company, you need to start with something public. You need to start something with liquidity, something with a track record, a balance sheet. And 
if we wanted to prove to the, well, I think so. And if you wanted to prove to the industry that what you're doing is profitable, what you're doing works, how, how much, you know, being able to do that in a public space where everything is transparent and your, you know, your, 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 uh, your audits and your financials and everything, everybody can look uh, forensically at what you're doing. And, and, and it's, it's right there. The proof is right there in the pudding. Everybody can read it. Um, that's the complicated answer that I'd like to give you. The, the simple answer is in order for us to secure the growth capital we needed with the, the investment community we were comfortable with and, and connected to, um, they were most comfortable with the liquidity uh, a public company brings. Mining investors like public companies. They don't like uh, private things. We didn't go after technology investors. We went after mining investors. I think because you're Canadian, I think that's mm -hmm. the default position. I think you're, if you're in New York or California or London, you'd have a different conversation. Completely. Right. Hey, well, look, let's wrap it up. Come back on and let us know how you're getting on. I'm intrigued, genuinely intrigued. I think there's a lot of well, good things going on there. Um, and uh, well, stay in touch, okay? Speak soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.